Are you Invictus? Clint, are you Invictus? Are you Invictus? What does it mean? You know, when I started the Invictus My podcast, uh, you know, my goal was to unite a bunch of people who had a similar ideology or a similar characteristic traits. Invictus means unconquerable. So it's an, an old uh, Greek word for it means unconquerable. Unconquerable. So, it, honestly, just be totally honest, it was, a, it was a new concept to me. I had to Google it when you sent it to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do my best. Tell me about what the show, what, what, is, what is your audience looking for? Tell me. This is your first time here. This is the number one program dedicated to helping individuals maximize their potential and truly become unconquerable. Here we have discussions about what it takes and what it means to experience and magnify political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. Yes, I would absolutely say that. I'm going to keep getting up, right? And I keep getting up and I keep pushing forward. And that's the type of mindset that you need to have. I, I never lose hope. I never lose faith. My mindset has always been, if I want something, I don't give up. So let me tell you what is the number one issue when it, when it comes to being unconquerable. Okay. And the number one word you have to think about here is not intelligence, not savvy, not strength, none of those things. The number one thing is resilience. You know I'm Invictus, come on. All right, I'm Invictus AF. Well, may I have an initiation question for my tribe? Okay. Are you Invictus? I believe I am. So yes, I agree. I am Invictus. I totally agree, man. And and I think that if there's anybody on this planet that's unconquerable, it's probably me. I am not the type to take orders, and I am definitely in a position that uh, I can I can stand up for myself right now. So. And I was like, no way! I know what that word means now. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Very cool concept for a show. You didn't ask me if I was Invictus. So how you doing, Alicia? Hi, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, I'm, I'm thankful for it, too. I think you and I are a kindred spirit. Really? Uh, <laughs> I was reading over I... your profile on Podmatch, and we have a lot of the we have a lot of the same thought process. So probably not the same exact background, but uh, I think that we'll find we have a lot in common here. Cool. I am so excited. Plus, I just love that phrase from Anne of Green Gables, kindred spirit. So good. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one who pulls I'm one who pulls uh, quotes and, and phrases from different places. I don't even know where. So <laughs> I love it. But uh, Alicia, the reason I asked you on my show is because uh, you know, I, I was fascinated by some of the things that uh, you had mentioned in your profile. Uh coming from a Christian background, and I'll let you share your story, but uh, I just want to kind of get up to speed here. You have a Christian background, you're the wife of a preacher. Uh, yes, I you, am. <laughs> you have uh, you have an extensive blog that I really love, and you'll talk about uh, where we we were talking offline a little bit about some of uh, your ideology leaning a little bit towards the libertarian side. Although you know, yeah. right wing is where I would classify myself libertarian ish. And yeah. um, you know, you have uh, a lot of your writing has to do with uh, some of the the background. And, and again, I'll let you share your story, but uh, you know, stories of suffering and uh, injustice. Uh, and uh, and overcoming those trials and, and keeping a mind of uh, of faith and and pointing in the right direction that lets you become invictus, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that you're from the Washington area. I am. So I grew up on an island in the Pacific Northwest. I think it's funny because when you say Pacific Northwest, it generally refers to a pretty large area, like 
like lower British Columbia, Washington state, parts of Oregon, Idaho. But when I, from like living here, when I think of the Pacific Northwest, I think of the Puget Sound, like that inlet of Washington and Seattle. And that's like what I think of. So when people from Idaho say, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, I think, oh, you don't even have a C. (laughs) How can you be from the Pacific Northwest? (laughs) Right. Well, I, I haven't been to Idaho, but I have been to the Seattle area and uh, it is beautiful country up there. I actually, uh, I, I saw a concert several years ago over at, uh, what was it? Um, the Gorge? The Gorge. I was going to say that. Yep. That's the place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, I, I, I we uh, walked at the basin of uh, Mount Rainier and, you know, did all the, the touristy oh. things in Seattle, but that, you know, it's been a long time since I've been up there. I'm sure the politics is quite different than what it used to be. It's, it's awful. Like I haven't even been, I've driven through Seattle a few times in the last few years. Um, I live like an hour North of Seattle, but it is so bad. It's so bad. It's just filled with filth and homeless people and mental illness and graffiti. And just, it's so sad. I grew up here. So like, I totally grew up going to Seattle and going to baseball games and hanging out downtown and there was always like street performers and mm. like, you know, amuse, uh, like musicians and um, people playing drums on buckets and like kids and hot dog vendors. It was just fun. And now it's, it just, it's like dead. Yeah. Yeah. When I went, we went to the rock and roll museum out there. We saw, I have a picture of me uh, next to uh, one of Jimi Hendrix's statue Um, we we went to the space needle so you know (laughs) yeah yeah fun yeah it's those those are all super fun places to go to okay cool well alicia you know in your profile you said that you were uh uh, you are a preacher's wife yes and i I, I need i need you to expand on that a little bit because uh obviously we are both christians Uh, you know i'm not sure what exact uh you know denomination you are but uh when you mentioned you're a christian i you know drew me to you so uh, i'm interested in learning about your story a little bit Yeah. Okay. So this is a whole story when I was 12. So I grew up going to this precious little Baptist church. The pastor of that church told me Alicia would, well, he told my parents, Alicia would make a great pastor's wife. And that just made me so mad, like (laughs) deep in my soul. I can't explain why, but I was like, um, I am not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I totally like dug my feet in and I went to, um, a few like private Christian colleges. I have a degree in English literature, but there were totally boys there studying to become pastors or theology majors. And I refused to talk to any of them because I was afraid of falling in love with a pastor. It's obviously very immature, but that's where I was at that time in my life. Um, and then when I met my husband, I asked him, do you want to be a pastor? And he said, no. And I said, oh, but like you love the Lord and you want to like be involved in a church. And he said, yes. And my husband and I are both musicians. So Mm. playing music at church has been a huge part of my life. And, um, I thought, great. Like that's the perfect balance. I want someone who's interested in church wants to, you know, take kids to church, but it doesn't want to like be on staff. And then a few years into being married, he told me, I think God wants me to be a pastor. 
And I thought, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Prophecy fulfilled. It was hard. Prophecy fulfilled. It was so hard, Michael. Like, I, my heart was just not there. And I just had all these preconceived ideas. I thought, I thought it would be really unhealthy. I thought we would just be super poor, which both of those things we've experienced, but where we're at right now is a great church. The leadership is so healthy. Uh, like we're encouraged to be ourselves and just thrive where we're at and our kids love it. We all feel super comfortable there. It's like family. So Mm -hmm. I, I love where we're at right now. And we've learned a lot on this journey and we've learned my husband and I have had to learn how to just communicate and take on emotions and all my big emotions. Um, yeah, it took me like seven years of marriage to finally admit that I was stubborn. (laughs) So there's that my poor husband. (laughs) It sounds a little bit like my wife and I, we both have uh, very strong personalities and, you know, sometimes we just got to humble ourselves and be like, okay, we'll listen more, right? That old cliche, we got two ears and one mouth, right? (laughs) Oh yes. Yes. It's so true though. You know, here in uh, in America, despite the political winds that are just blowing from all directions, you know, there are, we are, we are very much blessed, but sometimes people forget that fact. And, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and they come, they come from tragedy and, uh, you know, God blesses despite tragedy. And I yeah. just love some of the stuff that you've, uh, you've written about. And, um, you know, what, I love to just share some of your, your inspirations as to, you know, some of the challenges you see going on in the world and how you think that you're one of those who are kind of called to lead people out of that. Yeah. I'm going to start by answering that by telling a little bit of my backstory. Cause I think it matters. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a Christian home. I was homeschooled. Um, I'm the oldest of nine kids. My family was very like pretty conservative in their values. I like, when I met my husband, I had been so removed from just like cultural things that mm-hmm. I didn't know like references and that kind of thing. And he grew up listening to like blues and rock and roll and I don't know, that kind of stuff. And so um he he's kind of had to explain some things to me. Even though I went to college, I still was like, oh, there's a lot of cultural references I just don't get because I wasn't sure. allowed to watch or listen to these things. Um I generally had a pretty good childhood, but my home was never completely healthy. Mm -hmm. And then around age 12, substance abuse made its way into my home. And I had never been exposed to that. I'd never seen my parents drink. I'd never seen anybody drink that I knew of. And so I was just very sheltered from that. And it was very hidden. So I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that something crazy was happening. And my mom, it was my mom. She was struggling with addiction Mm. and she was, she didn't say anything about it. And she would leave at night and be gone like all night long. 
and I had no idea where she was. And so a lot of the parental duties fell on me. So I grew up very much being caretaker to my siblings, which I didn't mind, but it wasn't my job. Mm. Um, and I would do anything for my siblings, but that's a lot to put on a 12 year old and just the practical things like tucking into bed, giving baths, making dinner, getting kids up in the morning. And like, it was exhausting. And then things got even worse. And my parents both became very, like, very emotionally unstable. They do not believe in divorce Mm. at all. So sometimes people, even like my pastor, who's very conservative, he would tell my dad, you have to get her out of that home because it's chaos. And she knew legally he couldn't make her leave. She wouldn't leave. So when I hear stories of people that like kick their spouse out because they're struggling with drug addiction or something and they actually leave, it's like crazy to me because for that to happen in my home, there had to be a restraining order. Mm. And um, there were multiple restraining orders when I was growing up. There were multiple child protective services investigations. My mom went to jail multiple times. Um, there was rehab, uh, like psych wards. It was just crazy. And then the whole time, all of this was happening. We were being told not to tell anyone. And we were being told that if we, if we said the truth of what was happening, we'd be removed from the home and put in foster homes, separated from our siblings, and we would be horrifically abused. And so my, my parents would literally read us stories like in the news of horrific foster care situations where kids were like starved to death or Mm. chained up in a basement or just sexually abused. And I thought, well, gee, like none of that's happening here. So I'm just not going to say anything. And so sometimes we would literally lie to police officers Mm. showing up at our doorstep and say, no, my mom didn't threaten to kill us or no, these bruises aren't from our mom. And we'd just lie because that's what we were being told. And we thought, oh, well, it's not that bad. Like we're not bleeding. The bruises aren't that big. Mm -hmm. And it was eventually when you get told that stuff, you start thinking you're crazy. You're being gaslit. And so you start thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a crazy person. And we would, I would be told that constantly that I was crazy, that I didn't understand reality, that I was lying, that I wasn't remembering things correctly. And so for years, I just lived in this space where my brain just felt so fuzzy and I felt like I'm, I'm crazy. And I just have, I had this deep, deep fear of becoming exactly like my parents. Mm. It was really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I met my husband coming out of a very, very dark time. I, all of that, all of that kind of culminated over the course of 10 years and just built up inside me to a point where I just woke up one day. I literally just woke up and thought I'm going to die today. And I wasn't sad about it. I wasn't mad about it. I was just numb. And I tried to kill myself and I didn't die, obviously. And after that moment, I thought, okay, if I'm going to live here on this earth, I have to actually live here on this earth. Mm. And so I told myself, I'm just going to start saying yes to things. If people ask me to do something that's like fun or a friend asked me to do things, I'm just going to say yes. Cause I was very like closed off. I was in my senior year of college. Um, and a friend asked me to come play ultimate Frisbee. And I was like, me, like, <laughs> I am not athletic at all. And, um, I said, yes, cause I had made a promise to myself. And that was the night that I met my husband. Well, there you go. Yeah. There's there you go. So, well, I appreciate that story, Alicia. You know, as you were talking, I was, I was just thinking, you know, so domestic abuse and, uh, and broken homes, that's not a unique thing among Christian families, but uh, from your perspective, you know, it's, it's, it's probably different because you started with the fact that, you know, divorce wasn't a thing in, in, in your yeah. faith. And, you know, and, and I, and I know a lot of Christians who hold that belief and yet still there are instances of abuse and domestic yes. violence and things and, and divorce is not, uh, is not common. And so I wonder like how, how Christians deal with that, because I mean, obviously there's one thing that says in scripture, and then there's another thing that, you know, the reality of life is hard for yeah. many people. Yeah. How do you separate those two things? Well, here's the thing. The Bible says that God hates divorce and he does because it's awful, but he allows it because sometimes it is necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think that, especially if you consider just the legal aspect of marriage, like remove like the covenant of marriage to the side, the legal aspect and how our society functions like legally. Um, there's something to be said for people think, oh, if you legally end a marriage, that means like you're just completely done. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that if circumstances call for either like legal separation or divorce, but you both like want reconciliation, that can still happen. Um, but it abuse is evil. It's sin mm -hmm. and staying in a marriage where evil things are happening to you constantly is not honoring to God. Now there are stories of people who like stick through uh, like an alcoholic husband and then they like come to the Lord and give up alcohol and get healed from addiction. Like there are stories like that. And, but it's very unwise to wait for something like that to happen. Mm. 
you can't predict how another person's soul is going to respond to God. Mm-hmm. And you, especially if there are kids involved, you have to protect them. They matter more than yeah, the grown yeah. adult that you're living with that's behaving like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Yeah. Well, I'll share with you at least this much. I come from a broken family myself and, you know, I don't need to rehash all that, but then, and of course I repeated the same as my parents, my first marriage. And I say first, you know what the end means, uh, uh, but God willing, you know, life can become better. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, one of the words you mentioned there is this idea of covenant, right? And I don't want to get too deeply spiritual right now, but uh, you know, like you said, covenant is, are we making a covenant with God. Are we living by his precepts, his commandments? And if we're not, well, then the covenant's already broken. So, you know, you got to do what's best, for, like you said, for the children. Yeah. There's also just so much grace for people that, like, it's easy to look back and be like, oh, I could have done this, or I should have done this, or I didn't understand whatever. And there's grace for that. There is. Right, right, right. And so you obviously were blessed by a husband you've been with for some time who is now a, a pastor. You're, you're, you're yeah. devoted to your faith. And now you're spending your life trying to help families who have come from those bad situations realize and, and recompense themselves to Christ. You know, you have a, you have a great blog, which I, I, I love some of the, uh, the ones I've read. And you're also an Thank author, you. correct? Yes, I just published my first book. Um, I actually started out writing a book that was the story of my life. Okay. And as I was writing it, I just kept feeling more and more unsettled. Like this is not the right time to tell this story. You aren't ready for this. And it's true. I wasn't, it wasn't the right time. Um, but I really wanted to write a book. And so I just, I prayed and I was like, I have stories in me. I know I have stories in me. Give me a story. And that night I had this insanely vivid dream. Mm. And that dream became the first five chapters of my book, which I feel like sounds a little bit weird to people. (laughs) Some maybe, but I've always had really vivid dreams. So maybe that's just me, but, um, yeah, my book is a murder mystery that deals with human trafficking. It's based off several true stories and it's set in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. And the point of the book is to show that you can heal from impossible things and that beautiful things can come out of even the darkest situations. Yeah, absolutely. And human trafficking, of course, is one of the ugliest things that uh, humanity has to offer. And, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you're like the fifth person I've interviewed where I haven't had a chance to read the book before we're talking about this. So oh gosh, me. you're totally fine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, There's always too many books in the world to read. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I never have enough of them, right. I'm always trying to get some off my shelf and put new ones on. There. Yes. Yes, totally. <laughs> but I mean, so really, uh, I think because uh, I I just love the way that you have this uh, you have this glowing personality about you, Alicia. I'm just going to come on and tell you, 
you know, and, you. and definitely I don't, for my audience sake, I don't want to dive too much down to darkness of your background, but just some of the concepts that uh, you think are important for people to understand about no matter what background somebody comes from, no matter grim experience, uh, horrific experience, that uh, there is salvation. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There, there, there is yes. hope. Yes. You know? And so that's why I named my, I named my show the Invictus Mind because it's, it's, I mean, I should call it the Invictus Mind and the Heart and whatever, but uh, it's, it's about having this belief, this attitude, this desire to free yourself from the things that are bonding you, right? Yeah. They could be from a horrific family experience. They could be from a horrific uh, uh, background. It could be just from decisions that we make in our own lives. Uh, you know, yeah. I like to, I like to talk, talk about uh, political freedom, spiritual freedom, and uh, of course, financial freedom, but uh you know, set aside all the bad things that happen out there, you know, how are, how are somebody, how does somebody get to a point where like, okay, I'm, I'm going to change something about myself. And I know I have this background. I want to stop making excuses. How do you, how do you find that light? Do you, do you think that there's some kind of inspiration that comes from heaven or is it a person willing, willingness to go out and, and, and make that decision? I think it's, it can be both. Um, uh, in our culture today, I think the word we would use for what you're describing is grit. Okay. I and like that word. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who um, just graduated from getting her doctorate in psychology and she has helped me process a lot of my story, mm-hmm. but um, she talks, she just did her residency at a place where she was dealing with victims of trafficking and sexual abuse. And she always talked about how grit is like one of the number one determiners of whether or not somebody is going to heal and have a successful life, whatever that looks like for you. It doesn't necessarily mean financially. Um, like they're going to become millionaires or something like that by the age of 30. Um, But I think there's something to be said for grit. People give up way too easily in our culture. When things are hard, we don't persevere. Mm. And whether that's someone who has never had a friendship that's lasted longer than five years, or they just have failed relationship after failed relationship. And obviously individually, there could be a lot going on there, but overall there's something to be said for setting your feet on a path, whatever it is and sticking it out. Mm. And that can be like learning and learning an instrument, finishing a college degree, uh, which my husband totally like didn't finish. And I, yeah, I have my own story with that, but sticking things through and, and grit is what helps us complete that healing process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that God instills in us, but we also just have to be willing to do the work because it's yeah. work. It's work it's hard and you have to feel things that you, you know, felt as a child and you have to learn how to process those emotions 
all of that stuff stays in you. There's this really famous book on trauma and it's called the body keeps the score. Okay. And it's about how your body literally physiologically holds trauma Mm. in it. And if you think about just from even movies, like think of a movie where a character got really traumatized, their whole body language changes afterwards. Sure. I like the expression in their eyes, your body holds on to trauma and it has to be released Hmm. and God designed things that way. And there's also just this element of we live in a broken world and a fallen world and evil and sin affect us in our bodies, not just in our souls. Cause we're not just a body and we're not just a soul. We're both. Mm. And they're intrinsically linked to one another and they affect each other. And so when you are going through the healing process, I just call it the healing process. I even sometimes call it recovery, but when you say recovery, people instantly think of substance abuse, Sure, but sure. I think you can be in recovery from almost anything. Okay. And sure. that that's what, I don't know if you've heard of celebrate recovery. It's sort of like the Christian version of AA. Okay. Um, I have not heard of that, but yeah, but it's not, it's functions very similar to AA. It has like 12 steps and all of that, but it's not just for substance abuse. It's for anything. So it can be like divorce, eating disorders, Mm. uh, loss of a child, loss of a spouse, grief. Um, I went through their program when I was grieving the loss of my grandma and that kind of helped me. I thought I was going there to grieve my grandma. And then it ended up being me realizing that I had a lot more going on. And that was the first time I ever said out loud in front of people that I came from an abusive family. And that was like six years ago. Mm. That was the first time I said it out loud. Okay. And, um, saying that out loud, I felt like so embarrassed to say it because I thought there are people in this room who've probably had way worse things happen. And I'm just saying, Oh, I grew up in an abusive home. And that was a lot of the shame for my story that, I, that I was, that was spoken over me and, um, that I couldn't even say it out loud. And I remember the first time I told my husband, um, cause a pastor had, I had been going through a really hard time. I sat down with my pastor at the time and just like word vomited on him, like my story. Mm-hmm. And at the end he was just like, Whoa, you grew up in a super abusive home. And I was like, so taken aback by that because it was just so normal to me. And I had never had somebody like in an authority position say that to me before. And I went home and told my husband, pastor Mike told me that I grew up in an abusive home. And he's like, uh, yeah. (laughs) And yeah, there's like those stages of grief, you know, mm-hmm. like I can never remember how they go, but I think realizing like 
that something even happened to you. Yeah, sure. Accepting the fact or admitting that there was a problem. Admitting it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Saying it out loud. It's like so powerful. And then, um, man, it's just been such a journey. I was so broken and I didn't even realize it. And I had so much going on just physically in my body. Like I've, I've really, really struggled with my health the past six years. I used Mm. to like run multiple times a week and, um, I loved it, but I haven't been able to do that for years because of all the like grief and processing that I've been going through it. Like it exhausts me for days if I work out. And Mm. so I have to be like, really, I still work hard. Like I still move my body, but running has had to like, take a back seat. It's like, my body is like rejecting me if I run (laughs) and I've just had to learn how I have a good doctor too, who's helped me. And I'm learning how to like eat better and take supplements and drink more water and all of those kinds of just practical things, Mm -hmm. but healing and working through trauma and working through abuse, it is a very long journey. It is not like a six month or three month thing. You can't just sit down and like talk to a counselor for a few sessions and like be good. Mm. It's a long process. I'm sure it is. I I was actually, my last podcast guest I had on the show here was a a woman who was into holistic and spiritual healing. And uh, she would actually, and I don't know how it worked. I couldn't explain it, but uh, she would connect with her clients and she would relieve some of the trauma that were held up. Like you mentioned in, in, in a person's soul, that was mm-hmm. maybe causing other health problems because they were holding on something that uh, it might've been from 20 years ago or from their early childhood even. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was energies that she said that needed to be released. And I was, I was really intrigued by that because, you know, obviously what we talked about yeah. modern, modern medicine can't necessarily do that, but there's mm-hmm. a process of spiritual healing that, uh, that you had alluded to there. Yeah, like for sure. So, yeah. You know, some of the things you mentioned and I want to touch on because I, 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 you, we can both agree probably that college these days, you mentioned that uh, there was a whole separate <laughs> issue about college. And yeah. I, want to turn, I want to turn a little bit about uh, to that topic. Cause this is one of the other specialties that I noticed that you are, uh, you're a homeschooling mother. Yes, I am. And so when so, I say college, I don't think college is for everybody, but yeah. I want to focus on homeschooling. Cause I, I am a supporter of homeschooling. I don't have that, that, that privilege right now to do that with my daughter, but I, I definitely like the concept of homeschooling. But I want to mm-hmm. talk about some of the resistance people have towards homeschooling. Now, first, let's set the stage by saying a lot of people have welcomed the idea of homeschooling because of what happened during a pandemic. Yes. yes. But at the other hand, the the critique of homeschooling is, well, you know, well, we're, you're going to be have sheltered children and you're not going to be able to understand what's going on in the world. So yeah. what are some of your thought processes about that? Uh, I would say that that's true. You can have, there are totally socially awkward homeschool kids. I know plenty of them. (laughs) Um, and, but that has a lot more to do with their parents than their education. I will just say, sure. Because 
I was homeschooled and my brother and sister were homeschooled and, um, like completely all the way through, not all my siblings were homeschooled. Um, but the like three oldest of us were homeschooled all the way through and we're not socially awkward at all. Like we're self-aware. Uh, I went to college, my sister's a nurse, my brother is a self-taught engineer Mm -hmm. and he, he was like, I'm not going to college. I'll teach myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so he did. Um, and he, like, he has an amazing job. And, um, like in terms of like my family, um, our kids, I actually told my husband that I didn't want to homeschool because I knew it's, it's a lifestyle. And I just thought, I don't think I want it, want that lifestyle. Um, but then kindergarten came around and I thought, well, I'll just homeschool for kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I thought, I don't know what it's like where you are, but here there were only, there's only full day kindergarten, which I don't think a lot of kids can really handle at five. I don't even want to go to school five days a week for like eight hours a day sure, at five. Sure. Not all kids can handle that. And I felt like my son he, I was like, I don't think he can handle it. Um, so I'll just homeschool him for kindergarten. Like Mm -hmm. that's easy. Like I can teach him his letters and colors and shapes. And then we just kept going. Uh, it just worked really well for us really well, especially with my husband being a pastor. Um, it just fits the flexibility of it is incredible. And, um, across the board, homeschool kids that are homeschooled, outperform um public school kids in reading and math and they're more likely to go to college more likely to graduate from college and i i think the number one job of parents that are homeschoolers is that they are entrepreneurs so a lot of people who homeschool own their own businesses sure sure and i think that has a lot to do with lifestyle because when you own your own business it, depending on the type of business, it can be very like time demanding or a little bit like unpredictable. And so having your kids be able to mesh with that schedule for their education can work really well. My parents owned their own businesses my whole life. And so I fall into that category as a homeschool kid, but, um, uh, the thing that I love about homeschooling is that if you think about public school and um, how much time it takes, like you're in school for, I guess, six to seven hours. But if you take out all the gaps, like all the time with the extra kids, lunch, recess, walking from class to class, your actual learning during the day isn't actually a ton. Mm. So when you're homeschooling, you do not need to homeschool for six hours a day. Right. What we, what we do in our family is Mondays are a rest day for us. Mm. And so we try not to really do much on Mondays. We do school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And then on Fridays, our kids have a homeschool co-op that they go to. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's a group of a bunch of homeschooling families that get together They offer classes for preschool through 12th grade and the 
the parents teach the classes. So I have an English degree, so I've taught English classes there. I taught a creative writing class and um, I taught a really fun class for little kids on like Little House on the Prairie. And we read some of those stories and then did fun things like we made butter and learned how to braid. Nice. um, I can't, we did something else, Um, but it was just a fun, cute little class. Um, my kids are taking a PE class, a painting class. My little daughter's doing a little kindergarten class there. So they're still getting classroom experiences. And I do think that that's important. Mm -hmm. I think that classrooms are very valuable for kids and, um, it's good for them to learn how to raise their hand, how to sit quietly, how to respect their teacher and say, like, call their teacher, Mrs whatever, and be respectful and learn how to walk from class to class. I think all of those are really important to learn. So for me with homeschooling, it's never going to be just us at home. Um, It was during the pandemic because everything was shut down, Mm -hmm. but we get together with other homeschooling families. We do field trips and there's so many resources for homeschooling nowadays there's this platform called outschool mm. and you don't have to be homeschooled to use it but it's just this platform of all these classes and they're all online and your kids can take them and they range from like cooking and drawing to like ancient civilizations and like interesting poetry so you can do anything supplemental for that right right so you know what's What's interesting about homeschooling, and, I, and we kind of alluded to this in the beginning, is you know, um, because of the nature of what's going on in the world, right? Uh, there's a there's just a lot of negativity out there, and I think one of the yeah. biggest issues I have against, uh, I'll, I'll just call it public indoctrination, is that you know, so there's all these ideas that are thrust into people, especially yeah. children, that they mm-hmm. they wind up growing up confused. Uh, I've heard it said that uh, in, in under normal circumstances that uh, most children won't even see any kind of violence unless there, it is in public school, like their whole life. They won't see it. Interesting. I, I thought that yeah, was that interesting. Now, obviously, your story aside, there are, again, going. I, I kind of like to weigh both sides of the issue here. You know, there are those mm-hmm. people who will say, well, homeschooling, you know, you could come up and have these weird traditions or these weird circumstances of abuse. <laughs> where yes. you know the kids are exposed to traumatic experiences at their own house so you mm-hmm. know we kind of want to you know separate them from their families if that's is deficit time but you know i'm not really in favor of separating children from their families although cases of abuse set aside it's just i i kind of see yeah. both both sides of the coin right there and so but i like how you said that with homeschooling you you not only get to teach them you know a better education platform but you also expose them to other things that are taught in a public school setting. And they're, they're able to interact with other children once a week. They're other, they're able to interact with, if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, you know, there's a flexibility. They get to interact with people who are older than them rather than sit in the classroom of people that are with children, their same age, which is kind of unusual. It's not, it's not like a, a normal thing in human history. Right. Yeah. Um, I, um, I will say that there are totally some homeschooling families that very much shelter their kids. 
And I have a really hard time with that because the goal is not to shelter your kids. The goal is to give your children critical thinking skills so that they can engage in the world. And I do think that you have to be wise about what you teach your children when, like, I have not taught my kids that they kind of know that like slavery happened. They know that slavery still happens in the world because we have talked about that, Mm -hmm. but they don't know like the history of the African slave trading and all of that, because I don't think they're emotionally ready for it. Mm. And, um, when I am like devastated to teach my kids about the Holocaust, I, I just, it's like the saddest thing. And I just, our kids are little for so short a time. Let them have a childhood where they grow up, where the Holocaust isn't, didn't happen for a little while. Like you have to teach them. Yes, absolutely. But kids can't even, adults can barely even process what happened there. Mm. And with slavery and with just certain parts of history. And if adults can barely process it and our hearts are so broken, just reading these stories, I think we do have to protect our kids from it, but that doesn't mean you don't teach them about it when they're ready for it. Sure. Sure. And, um, like, I've talked to my kids about hard things totally, but I don't want them to be like traumatized. (laughs) Um, When I was 12, my parents had me, my, my parents were watching the history channel and they had me watching it with them. And they, there was live footage. They were watching a world war II documentary. There was live footage. Um, like, like old footage that they were replaying mm-hmm. um, of Nazi soldiers loading buses of Jewish men, women, and children into this um, beautiful white church. Mm. They stuffed the church and then they lit on fire. Oh, wow. And it was actual footage. It wasn't like recreated. And mm-hmm. that traumatized me for years. Mm. Like I had horrific nightmares. And I wasn't in a home where I felt safe to say what I was feeling. So I never said anything to my parents about it. And I just like, I was really like, I was like 10, 11, 12, maybe. And I could not process that. And, um, you can, you can tell stories of history to kids at an age appropriate times. And I do think that in general, our public schools are expecting way too much of little kids and way not enough of older kids. Well, like, that's probably true. <laughs> like we're expecting kids to be great readers by age six and have good penmanship and sit still and all of these things. I'm like, oh no, like some kids, yes. Some kids will love that. The some kids like my daughter's five. She loves doing workbook pages. It like makes her happy, but my sons do not <laughs> like, they didn't do 
we didn't do any workbook pages for kindergarten for my sons. We did everything hands-on. Um, and, but my daughter loves it. So I have that flexibility in my teaching them to do that. But, um, all of that aside, I do think that we have to be exposing our kids in ways that to culture and history and society in ways that are wise and age appropriate. And we also just want to talk to them about what, what it all means and how to take something that isn't true and pour truth over it with how we process it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So that, that actually leads to uh, another thought I had here with uh, um, when it comes to homeschooling, I mean, and you and I both come from a Christian perspective, right? Again, mm-hmm. another problem I have with public indoctrination, I'll keep using that term till the day I die. I, is that, I'm assuming your daughter goes to private school since you say that. Well, so my daughter, well, unfortunately I mentioned, so I am actually uh, divorced. My daughter lives with her mom. And I, don't, okay. I get to see her all the time. So I get to teach okay. her of my philosophy, my, 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 my religion, but she lives with her mom who doesn't believe in private school unless I pay for it. And so oh, she's okay. going to a public school. So that's the unfortunate, okay. that's the unfortunate okay. truth of my story. So I you get to, are going to be okay. She, you're going to be okay. You're doing great. No, I appreciate that. No. So I, I get to, I get to counterbalance everything that she's learning at school. Yeah, that's awesome. But so you mentioned critical thinking, right? The problem I have is that these schools, they'll teach you about all this traumatic stuff that happened in the world, the Holocaust, right? Slavery, you know, they have this uh, CRT now, you know, where they they talk about, uh, you know, the founders of the country were bad people because of all this stuff. And it's like, okay. And from my perspective, there's a lot of stories that you can learn from the bad things in the world. But again, tying into Christian perspective, there's a lot of bad things you can, that happened in the Bible, but somehow Christianity says, okay, well, all this bad stuff has happened. Tying back to what we started with is, you know, you might've had a horrible experience here, or people might've had a horrible experience there. Let's learn about them age appropriately. I like the way you said Mm -hmm. that, but now let's turn this into like, okay, can we see a light at the end of the tunnel? Can we have a, a Christian perspective on all that? You know, how, I mean, do you see that homeschooling probably would be better used from a, a Christian perspective or do you, do you just assume it's just parental discretion? I mean, I'm talking to a pastor's wife, so you might have a little bias there, but you know, <laughs> we, we have the same bias, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely have a Christian worldview, like the way that I view literature and history. It's, through my lens. And I know that, um, part of learning to, I think, engage with history is to be willing to look at history through different lenses. And, um, do you know that the, uh, writer Louis Lamar, he, he's like a famous Western writer. Well, he read like a hundred books a year or more for like Mm -hmm. his whole life. He just was an insane reader. And he always said that the best way to learn history is through historical fiction, Mm -hmm. which I think is amazing 
because I have read a lot of historical fiction and I feel like I've learned a lot about history that way. And um, the thing about fiction that I love is that taking, taking facts and events from history and then telling a story, a fictional story out of it, I think it helps you to, it helps you practice viewing things through different lenses, okay. through different characters and sure. different experiences, because even two siblings growing up in the same home will have completely different experiences. And so it makes, it helps you understand how complex history is. It is mm. not, it is not simple. It really, really isn't. And even in American history, somebody living in New York City in the 1930s during the Depression will have an incredibly different experience than someone living in Montana in the 1930s. Sure. Absolutely. Their stories won't even look the same. And um, the, I think that especially for kids, a really good way to help them understand the world can be through stories, through stories, whether it's like fairy tales or fables or historical fiction. I think that it helps kids process the world and it helps kids view things in the form of a story. And we all know stories are the most powerful form of communication. Sure. I've listened to hundreds and probably thousands of sermons in my life. I don't remember the points from like any sermon I've ever heard, but I remember stories that mm. people have shared. Sure. And I remember stories from the sermons that the pastors use as an illustration. So that's what we remember. That's what sticks with us. Um, and I think that stories are super powerful and it's a really good way to teach kids and help them learn about the world and process the world through stories. I think you're right. I mean, even the Bible itself is, uh, is, is a set of stories, not just a, a set of yes. rules to live by. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Alicia, I want to be respectful of your time. I feel like we've uh, I've rambled for an hour here, but uh, you definitely have a, a great story to tell, and I, and I appreciate that. Uh, if you could offer any kind of advice to anybody at this time, what to, you know, just give you one or two nuggets here as in closing. So I would just say that you are valuable. You are priceless. You are worth the blood of God and your life matters and your story matters. And even if your story is really, really hard and really dark, there is hope and healing. And it might mean that that's a journey and it might mean that that's a really long journey for you, but you are capable and you can do it. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug at this time? Um, my book, there you go. I know we didn't <laughs> spend a lot of time talking about it. I apologize. So go ahead. No. Okay. So my book is on Amazon. It's called until the darkness turns to light. It 
you will not want to put it down. That is the most common thing that I hear feedback on this book. I didn't write it super long. I wrote it with every chapter ending on a little bit of a cliffhanger. I want you to just fall in love with the characters and I want you to stay up until 4am finishing the book (laughs) (laughs) and then be like a little bit grumpy the next day, but thinking about all the characters too. (laughs) Well, there you go. That's a good sales job. I'm going to have to get that one myself then. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, one final question, Alicia. Yeah. Are you Invictus? I hope so. I really (laughs) hope so. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a great conversation. Stick around for a second. I want to chat afterwards, but uh, uh, I appreciate uh, your presence here on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me.